You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. All right, well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 uh, is where we're going to be together this morning, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses there. Uh, I wonder, uh, as you turn there, uh, if you would think of yourself as a confident person. Uh, Would you say that you're fairly confident uh, in your career or in life or uh, whatever it may be? Uh, I was doing a little research on this this week, thinking through, uh, what does it mean to be confident? What does overconfidence look like? And I found some surveys uh, that I thought were interesting. Uh, So according to AAA, 73% of Americans believe that they are a better driver than the average driver on the road. Um, I asked uh, the guys that work in our parking lot if they agreed. They said no comment. Uh, So... um, uh, another, another survey found that 65% of Americans believe that they are above average when it comes to intelligence. And now when I read that, I thought, but we also have to put a warning on Tide Pods not to eat them, right? Like, well, we also have to put warnings on coffee cups, things like that. So, so maybe, maybe they're over, overthinking this a little bit. And now this, these are just two examples of what psychologists have identified as something that they call overconfidence bias, So overconfidence bias is this cognitive uh, condition, is the way one article stated it, uh, that tells us that we believe that we are better at doing everyday things or or things that our lives might include, that we are better than most people at doing those things. Now what's interesting is uh, psychologists are also quick to point out that there is something called overconfidence bias, but something they don't see at all is underconfidence bias, right? So so most people, it's not an issue that we think that, hey, we're not confident enough, right? Most of us think we are at least average, right? I know that I'm bad at math, but I know I was a solid C student in math, right? I I was at least average whenever it came to math. Most of us see ourselves as average or above average. The bottom line is, is that we are confident, right? That we as a culture, we as a society, we as people are confident people. But here's the problem. Most of the time, our confidence is misplaced. Most of the time, our confidence is misplaced, and a lot of times, it's just flat out wrong, right? 73% of Americans believe that they are better than the average driver. Well, math tells us that at least 25% of those people are wrong, right? Oftentimes, our confidence is misplaced, or it's just wrong, See, we need an overhaul of our confidence. And this is why Paul's writing this passage that we're looking at today. So in this passage, in Philippians 3, Paul shows us, really, he's reminding us of this truth, that serious joy is built on confidence in Christ. Serious joy is built on confidence in Christ. It's not built in ourselves. It's not confidence in someone or something else. Serious joy is found only when our confidence is completely and only in Jesus. Now, if you remember back to when we began uh, this study in Philippians, one of the things that we said is that one of the key themes in the book of Philippians is this theme of joy. And so Paul, he comes back to this theme over and over and over again. And today he comes back to this theme 
to show us that if we want to have serious joy, if we want to have real joy, then our confidence must be found in Jesus. And we're going to look at Philippians 3, the first 11 verses. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen uh, here for you. Beginning in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says to us this morning, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful that your word is true. God, we're grateful that through your word, you speak to us. And so, Father, we pray now that you would speak to us and that you would show us what you would have us to see. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If we're going to build our confidence in Christ, there's a a few truths we need to know. And the first truth is this, is that we need to believe the right truth. We need to believe the right truth, right? Uh, We forget things. Maybe maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've been on a phone call and uh, you've uh, some the person on the other end has told you something that you need to know, and so you write it down on a sticky note. Typically on my desk, there are sticky notes everywhere. Sometimes uh, I have to email myself to remind me what someone has said, or if I don't put it on my calendar, uh, I'm certainly not going to remember that appointment. Well, the Philippians were just like us, right? The Philippians were prone to forget things. They needed to be reminded often, and Paul reminds them here, that serious joy is built on confidence in Christ. If you look at verse 1, Paul begins this passage by saying, finally. Now, you'll you'll see that this is not the end of the letter, right? Uh, There's still two full chapters to go. This is how we know Paul was a preacher, right? Uh, He said, finally, but he had no intention of stopping. Uh, And really, what this word is, this word that we have translated finally, is uh, this is a marker for us. Uh, This is a word that's often used to transition from one section to another section. And so in some translations, it'll be translated as, uh, well then, or and so. Really, Paul is just saying, look, I'm moving from this section, this thought, to a new section. And once again, Paul calls the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. This command has already been given in the letter. But he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, joy should be the normal state for the Christian. 
Joy should be what marks us. This isn't a radical command. This isn't a radical statement. This isn't Paul introducing anything new. He's just saying, look, I would remind you that you, that we, that I am to be marked by joy. This is a reminder for the Philippians, right? He says here at the end of verse one, to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's apparently talked to them about this, whether it be in a previous letter that he's written or in a previous visit, but he doesn't, remi- he doesn't mind reminding them because it's of their best interest. Now, this is an interesting point here because what we see, right, Paul says, uh, apparently he's already, he's already told them to have joy, to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it's, it's not a problem for me to remind you of this. That typically, when we read the New Testament, we don't find the New Testament writers introducing any kind of new doctrine. We typically don't find them introducing any kind of new truth. In fact, every, every major truth that the New Testament writers teach us is found first in the Old Testament. Or you go back to the Old Testament and we can see uh, from who God is to who Jesus is to what Jesus is going to do to the Holy Spirit to who God's people are, right? We find these seeds, these kernels beginning in the Old Testament. And so Paul, when he's writing, he's typically not introducing new things, but he's reminding his audience of old things. He's reminding them of things they've already heard, of things they already know, of things they already see. And that's really what we need. In fact, I'll let you in on a little secret. That's really what preaching is all about. Preaching is all about reminding God's people of what God has said. It's not about introducing anything new. One commentator I was reading on this passage this week, he said new doctrine is bad doctrine. Right? Because we're not introducing anything new. We're just reminding you of what you have already read, of what you've already seen, of what you've already been taught. And so Paul says, look, it's good for me to remind you of these things because this is a safeguard for you. This is going to protect you from false teaching. Apparently, there was a threat of false teaching in the Philippian church, and so Paul tells them to be on guard. He says, look out for the dogs. This word dog, this name, this, it was a derogatory title that Jews would use for non-Jews. And they would use it for non-Jews because Jews ate, they eat a kosher diet, right? Uh, They don't eat just anything, but the the Jews of Paul's day, they would say, look at these non-Jews who will just eat anything. This was a a, a term of derision. This was a, a put down, if you will. And Paul says, those false teachers that are trying to, uh, enslave your mind, trying to to wrap your conscience up in things that it doesn't need to be wrapped up in, they are the dogs. And he goes on and he he calls them evildoers and mutilators. These false teachers, they were what we know today as Judaizers. What they were doing is they were saying that, look, Jesus died on the cross, but that's not it. You need to do something else. Their, Their gospel equation was Jesus plus your work equals eternity. But gospel math is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then we don't need to add anything to Jesus, but that's what these Judaizers were doing. They were trying to add law and teaching and things that the Philippians must do. But Paul says just the opposite. He says real believers, they don't put their confidence in themselves. They put their confidence in Jesus. Look at verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision. 
Now, what he's talking about there, when he says, for we are the circumcision, the Judaizers, they were saying, like, look, Gentiles, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. But Paul is saying, no, 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 we are the circumcision. Now, Paul was a Jew, right? But he's saying that we as the church, as Jews and Gentiles, as Jews and non-Jews, that we are the circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And look at that last phrase, and put no confidence in the flesh. See, when Paul says, for we are the circumcision, what he's saying is that the real circumcision, and we could go to Galatians, and we see him pick this up there as well, is that the real circumcision, it's not those who've been circumcised in the flesh, it's those who've been circumcised in the heart. Right? It's those who've experienced heart change. That's what the gospel does. Right? The gospel changes the inside before it changes the outside. Right? That, that is where the real work is done. It's, it's done in the heart. He says, we're the real circumcision. We're the ones who worship by the Spirit, and we glory in Jesus. In other words, real believers find their confidence in Jesus and not in themselves. And see, this is an example of how our theology about what we believe about God affects the way that we live. Because see, if my confidence is in myself, if my confidence or if my, uh, my theology is telling me that, hey, I've got to live in such a way to earn something from the Father then that's gonna jack up the way that I live. Right? If I'm believing something false about the gospel, then that is going to lead me to live a life that doesn't reflect the true gospel. So if you put your confidence in what you can do, you've misunderstood the gospel. See, the Judaizers' problem, it wasn't that they were just adding something to the gospel, it's that they were completely changing it. See, we can't just add things to the gospel and think that maybe we're making the gospel more powerful. We can't add things to the gospel and think that uh, we aren't going to change it that much. You know, anytime we add something to the gospel, the gospel loses its power. See, God doesn't need our help to save us. God doesn't need you to save you because God has done everything necessary for you to be saved. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to add anything to what he's already done. When we try to add something to what God has already done, things go bad, right? Things go wrong. And so Paul is saying, don't put your confidence in your flesh. Don't put your confidence in what you can do. Put your confidence in Jesus, and so we've got to believe the right truth. Well, how do we protect against believing the false truth? How do we protect against believing a false gospel, against believing the wrong things? Well, we find that answer in verse 1. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. See, joy in Jesus is a safeguard against false teaching. If my joy and my confidence in Jesus are in Jesus, then I'm focused on him. See, the false teachers, they're leading the Philippians to trust themselves rather than Jesus. And this is a mark of all false teaching. All false teaching tries to make me the hero. All false teaching tries to make you the hero and then downplay what God has done. See, Jesus is the hero of everything. 
The hero of your story is not you. The hero of your story is Jesus. That's why whenever we sing, right, we sing that by his power we're made alive, not by what I have done I am made alive. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a dead man make themselves come alive? No. Do you know what dead people can do? Nothing, right? And what the Bible says in Ephesians 2 is that you and I, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not that we're kind of dead, not that we're almost dead, not that we're really sick, but the Greek word that's used there means, get this, dead, right? (laughs) We're dead. We can't do anything to add to our salvation. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, don't even try. Because whenever you try to work, when you try to do it yourself, when you try to earn it yourself, you end up frustrated and the gospel ends up perverted. Instead, just rest in Jesus and what he has done. Because when we find our joy in Jesus, then we know that we found the gospel. Or to put it a different way, we know the gospel has found us. We know that Jesus has found us. And so if we want to protect against believing these false gospels and this false teaching, if you want to recognize false teaching, then ask yourself this. In this teaching, who's the hero, me or Jesus? And if you're the hero, run, right? There's a Greek word for that kind of teaching too. It's baloney, right? Maybe maybe you've heard heard that, that Greek word before. You see, serious joy is built on confidence in Christ. This confidence begins by believing the right truth. And next, we see that this confidence is found when we trust the right Savior. When we believe the right truth, then we'll trust the right Savior. But when our belief gets confused, then our trust and our confidence gets misplaced. See, trusting anything other than Jesus is a recipe for disaster. This is why Paul reminds us that if if we want to have serious joy... If we want to have real joy, then put your confidence in Christ, the right Savior, not in everything else. Not in yourself, not in your circumstances, and not in your husband or your wife or your kids, but put your confidence in Christ. In verse 4, Paul begins his attack on those who would look to themselves as their own saviors. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Basically what he's saying, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you, right? He's saying anything you can do, I have done it, and I've done it better than you. And what I found at the end of it was that it still wasn't good enough. See, these false teachers, they... They wouldn't put it like this. They wouldn't call themselves their own saviors, but ultimately they're trusting themselves to be their own saviors. They're putting their confidence in who they are and what they have done and and what they can do. Their confidence is in their flesh rather than Jesus. And so rather than pointing at these other false teachers, Paul says, just look at me. Just look at my life. Look at who I am. If anyone had reason for confidence in their own flesh, it's Paul. He's got all the right credentials. If you were looking at Paul's resume, You would say, Paul has it, right? If anyone could have pleased God by what they've done, it's Paul. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just as the law commanded. Not on the seventh, not on the ninth, but on the eighth day. He he was a true Israelite who could trace his family to the tribe of Benjamin. 
He says in this passage that he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What this means is this is really kind of a knock uh, on the other, uh, the false teachers, because at this point they had been under Roman occupation for years and years and years. And so there were many Jews who didn't speak Hebrew, they didn't speak Aramaic, they had never been to Israel, they had never been to the Promised Land. But what Paul says is, look, uh, not only am I a Hebrew, but I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I speak the language. Uh, I love the culture. He says he's a, a Pharisee. A Pharisee, these are the, the strictest set sect of uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, in fact, this was a sect that, that you volunteered for. So they didn't pick you, you volunteered for it. And so you were volunteering to live this, by this strict code, this strict set of laws, this 600 and something laws. The Pharisee said you could do it. And so Paul signs up for it. He says he has so much zeal that he persecuted the church. And he persecuted the church because he believed that these Christians, these believers in Jesus, that they were wrong and he was right and he was going to show them how, he was, how they were wrong. See, in verses 4 and 5, Paul shows that he has every reason to boast in his flesh according to what the Judaizers valued. Now today we might not put it like this. Right, today we might not be in danger of saying, look, I'm the Hebrew of the Hebrews. A Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, but we might say something like this. I go to church every Sunday. I'm in a small group. I lead a small group. I serve on the worship team. I'm part of the go team with 4 Central Florida. I read my Bible every day. I give. Here's the truth. None of that will save you. There's not a single thing you can do to save you. See, you are a terrible Savior. I am a terrible Savior. But you know who's a good Savior? Jesus. Jesus is the right Savior. See, none of those things I just said are bad. It, it's, I would encourage you to come to church on Sundays. Right? I would encourage you to serve in our ministries. I would encourage you to be in a small group. I would encourage you to commit to the church. But if you believe that your commitment to the church is what is going to save you, then you are sadly mistaken. See, none of those things are bad. The problem is when they become the foundation of our salvation. Our performance of religious things isn't what saves us. Only Jesus can save us. This is one of my fears as someone who helps lead in the church, is that people will believe that because you've spent a lot of time around Christian things and Christian activities, then that makes you a Christian. But see, being around Christian things and even doing Christian things regularly doesn't get you to heaven. That doing religious activities doesn't justify you. Faith in Jesus Christ justifies you. Faith in Jesus Christ saves you. We do all of those other things, not hoping that God will love me if I do enough. We do those other things because God already has loved me. See, religion says that, that if you do enough, then God will love you. But what the gospel says is that God has already loved you. 
And now those things that we do, like coming to church and serving and worshiping and giving and all of those things, that's an overflow of what the work that Christ has done in our hearts. That's not what saves you. That's not the root of your salvation. That's the fruit of your salvation, right? That might be what a Christian looks like, but that's not what makes a Christian a Christian. What makes a Christian a Christian is Jesus, See, if what you do and don't do could get you to heaven, then Paul would have been good. Verse six tells us that if righteousness was based on the law, then he was blameless, yet Paul tells us that none of that matters. It's all a loss. You can look as much like a Christian, as much like a religious person as you want, but if your heart hasn't been changed by the gospel, then it doesn't matter. I grew up uh, as a Braves fan. My, my grandparents, huge Braves fans, watch. I remember being at their house, spending the night with them, and if it was baseball season, we were watching TBS, right? Because the Braves uh, were on. And so, uh, as I'm sure all of you know, uh, just a couple days ago, right, the Braves won the World Series, right? Uh, just over, absolutely. Uh, so I get online, and I decide, hey, you know what? It's been a while. I'm gonna buy a Braves World Series shirt. And so I, I get on my computer, and I'm going through and I see, oh, I can buy a jersey. I'm down, right? I'm, I'm buying this jersey. I clicked on it and it was $150. I said, I'm not buying the jersey. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, getting, I'm not getting the jersey. Uh, but uh, I played, when I was played Little League, I played for the Braves. Uh, I, I've played for, I've got Braves jerseys. If I were to buy that jersey for $150, uh, my wife would be mad. <laughs> but uh, I wear that jersey, but putting on that Braves jersey and and maybe even putting on a full uniform, would that make me a World Series champion? No, right? It'd make me broke. I wouldn't have any money (laughs) left. But putting on the jersey doesn't make me a part of the Braves organization. What happens is a lot of times we come to church and maybe we want to put on the jersey. Right? We want to do the church things. We want to do the Christian things. And then before too long, what we begin believing is that if I do enough Christian things, then that makes me a Christian. If I spend enough time around people who are Christians, then that makes me a Christian. None of that's true. Jesus makes you a Christian. And so I just want to make sure that we're clear There's nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. There's nothing that you you can never be good enough. You can never try hard enough. You can never give enough money. You can never serve enough hours. You can never come to enough church services. You can never read enough of your Bible to become a Christian. Jesus makes you a Christian and all of those other things, that's the fruit of the work that he's doing in your heart. That's the fruit of what he's already done in your heart. And so if we're going to have confidence in Christ, that means we can't have confidence in ourselves. If you want joy, if you want real joy, if you want serious joy, then don't trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus. Because Jesus has yet to let any of us down. Jesus has yet to to not get anyone into heaven who was his, right? There's a reason that we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We don't sing, Jesus paid most of it, but now I've got to fill it in, right? We don't sing, Jesus paid some of it, and now I've got to work. No, Jesus paid it all. 
And there's nothing more that you have to do. And for that, we can celebrate. Right? For that, we can sing. Because of that, we can serve. Because of that, we can give. Because of that, we can go. Because of that, we can be committed to his church because Jesus has died to save me from eternal punishment. And if he's died to save me from eternal punishment, then he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of my life. Right? That's, that's what it means to have confidence in Christ, not in yourself. This real joy, this serious joy, it's built on confidence in Christ. And it starts with the right truth and the right Savior. And finally, we see that Paul calls us to enjoy the right reward. When we direct our confidence to the wrong things, we miss the right rewards. Misplaced confidence leads us to things that will let us down and leave us disappointed. And so when our confidence is in Christ, we get serious joy because we know that what's true of Him is also going to be true of us. In this passage, Paul runs through his resume. He, he runs through his accomplishments. And he concludes in verse 7 that none of it matters. And he doubles down on it in verse 8. He, he says, Jesus' worth outweighs everything else. Look at verse 8. He said, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The only thing for Paul worth putting his confidence in, the only thing for us worth putting our confidence in is Jesus. He's content to lay everything that he's earned, everything that he's done down if that means that he gets Jesus. Now, understand this, right? Paul has spent his entire life banking up his rewards. He has spent his entire life as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, as living to fulfill the law, living to keep the law. And he gets to this point, and when he looks at everything he's done, and when he looks at Jesus, he realizes Jesus is better than all of that. Right, that Jesus is worth more. Jesus is worth it all, right? He is better. He's better than what Paul could do. He's better than what you or I could do. Jesus is worth more. In fact, Paul says that all of those things that he accumulated, all of those things are rubbish. That word literally means useless material subject to disposal. All of those things, Paul says they can all be thrown in the trash because Jesus is better than everything I could try. Jesus is better than everything I could attempt. Jesus is better than everything I could build. Paul had trusted in his heritage. He had kept the law. He'd been zealous to the point of persecuting those he thought were wrong. And now he realizes that all of that was a waste. It was all trash when compared to Christ. See, this is how we gain Christ, not by striving and working and earning to get God's love, but by laying all that we are and all that we have done at the feet of Jesus. One commentator, he said this, he said, we gain Christ by losing everything else. We gain Christ by losing everything else. See, when we're united with Christ, when we're found in him, the way verse 9 says, we get a righteousness that's outside of ourselves. It's not one that we can manufacture, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Last week was the 504th anniversary of the Reformation. Martin Luther, when he's talking about these things, he says that we need an alien righteousness. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves, and that's exactly what Jesus has given to us. This is what theologians, they'll call this imputation. 
that we have been given, we, Christ has imputed his righteousness to us, and we have given, we've imputed our sin to him. The righteousness and perfection of Jesus is given, it's imputed to us. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness, not because we've earned it, right? Not because Paul had kept the law, not because you've gone to church, not because you've read your Bible enough. No, Jesus gives us his righteousness simply because of his mercy and his grace. Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is a merciful and a gracious Savior. That's what Jesus does. He gives mercy. And what's the goal of this mercy? What's the goal of our salvation? Look at verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the reward. The goal of this mercy, the goal of our salvation, is that we might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. As we share in his sufferings, as we suffer in ways that he did, we become like him and we experience this resurrection power. Now this resurrection power, it is future, but it's also present. This present power is the power that rose Jesus from the dead, is working in us now. And just as we saw last week, that this power is what makes the Christian life possible. We can't live the Christian life apart from this resurrection power that Paul talks about in this passage. And what's true is that every believer has this power available to us at work in us even now. This resurrection power, this Holy Spirit power, it's not like, hey, it's guaranteed for us at the day of Christ, but right now it's it's only for the super spiritual or the really mature or the really religious or the, the pastors and the missionaries. No, this resurrection power is at work in you if you are found in Christ. And so this this power, this Holy Spirit power is working in you to conform you into the image of Jesus. See, we all get the same power working in us for the same purpose, right? Maybe sometimes you feel like, hey, I got gypped on this power, right? Because it seems like they are doing way better than I am at this following Jesus thing. And if we all have been given this power, why am I not maturing, right? Uh, I think of this sometimes as the Dr. Thunder, Dr. Pepper, right? Maybe sometimes you feel like you got the Dr. Thunder resurrection power and they got the Dr. Pepper resurrection power, right? We might say, hey, they got the Coke resurrection power, you got the Pepsi resurrection power, right? Uh, We feel like, hey, why am I not experiencing what they are experiencing? Why do I not have what they have? Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, we all have the same power. The same power that's at work in you is at work in me, is at work in them. And so maybe the, the reason, well, definitely the reason, maybe you don't see that growth or that progress that you would like to see, it's not because of a problem with the power. Maybe it's your sin, right? Maybe you've got unconfessed sin. Maybe there's that sin that you just want to cling to, you want to hold on to, or as the book of Hebrews says, that, cling, that sin which clings so closely to you. See, if we're going to have this serious joy that Paul's writing about here in Philippians, then we've got to have a confidence that's built on Christ. We've got to believe the right truth. We've got to trust the right Savior. We've got to enjoy the right reward. And so here's the question is, where is your confidence today? What are you putting your confidence in right now? Are you believing that if you try hard enough, God will finally love you? 
Are you believing that if you work hard enough, God will have to give you what you want? Are you believing that if you say the right prayer, then God will have to act? What I found is most of the time, that might be what we believe, but that's not the way we're saying it. The way that we're saying it is something like this. Well, I've messed up this week, so there's no way that God could love me. Even you don't know my history, that I've got junk in my history. There's no way that God could care for me. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could accept me. See, that's just another way of saying that if I try hard enough, then God will love me. See, that's not good news. That's not gospel. The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, God has loved you. In Jesus Christ, God has made a way for you to be forgiven, for you to be loved, and for you to be accepted. And so now, brothers and sisters, you don't have to work hard to get God to love you. God already loves you. That's where joy is found. Joy is found in knowing that Jesus is worthy of our lives and that if we lay down our lives to him, then he will make us like him and he will give us joy. See, what what God calls you to is not to try to earn something from him. What he calls you to is to trust what he's already given you. See, there's this this conversation about how do you... How do you talk to believers and unbelievers? How do you talk to those who have trusted Christ and those who have yet to trust Christ? Well, here's the truth. What we all need is we all need the gospel. See, I need to be reminded of the gospel every day. That Jesus loves me not not because of me, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And if you've yet to trust Christ, then what you need to know is that he offers you forgiveness and love so that you don't have to try to earn, you don't try to be good enough or try hard enough, but that you can trust Jesus who died in your place. And if you'll trust him, then he will give you life. He'll give you joy. Jesus said, I came to give them life and life abundant. I don't know about you, but I could use life abundant. There's no day that you've had that is so bad that a little resurrection power won't fix. Ultimately, that's what we all need. I need that resurrection power at work in my heart and in my life every minute of every day. And if you've never trusted Jesus, that's what you need as well. You need that resurrection power. See, here in, in just a little bit, we're going we're gonna to sing. And then after we sing, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to come to the Lord's table. This is a, a meal that he instituted. And the reason that Jesus gave us this supper He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The reason he did it is because he knew that we were people who need to be reminded over and over and over again of the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves, right? That Jesus was broken for you. His blood was shed for us so that we wouldn't have to take that punishment, so that we wouldn't have to do that striving, that working. Jesus has done it for us. And so as we we come to that moment as we come to the Lord's table here in just a minute. Before we do that, we're going to sing. And as we sing, this is a time for you to respond. This is a time for you to prepare your hearts as we come to the table. And, and maybe you just pray and ask the Lord to show you, hey, where, where am I trusting in myself rather than in Jesus? Where am I placing my confidence other than in Christ? And maybe For some of you, this is the point where you come and you realize, hey, I've been trusting myself all along. I need to lay my life down. I need to trust Jesus to save me. 
If that's you, we've got a couple ways that you can do that. You can send a text, 407-338-4024. That number will be on the screen here in just a minute. You can send that text. And you can just put your name. You can put, I need to talk. You can put Jesus, whatever you want. There's someone on the other end of that line to start that conversation. You can walk out these doors right now. You can go to our next steps room right out there on the right. There's people in there ready and willing to talk with you. Anxious to be able to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Uh, And as we sing, I just want to encourage you. Use this as a time to respond, right? Ask the Lord to show you where is your confidence at other than in Him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that through Christ we can have real joy. We can have serious joy. We can have the right kind of joy. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us that joy. God, that you would show us where we're trusting in things other than in Christ, and that you would take those things out of our life and you would point us back to Jesus, that that that's where he is where we would find our ultimate confidence, our ultimate source of joy, not in what we can do, not in other people, but in him. Father, we pray that you would do this. We pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would apply your precious and your perfect word to our hearts. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.